That's just like the coolest song to walk out to. I don't care. It is. What do you think of when you think of grit? Most people think of the Wild West, right? I mean, it took a lot of grit to ride out there. It took a lot of grit to go out there where there was no civilization. There was, there was nothing but dangers. Not many people, not very, not very many people dared go out there. But the ones that did, those guys that succeeded, man, those guys had grit. So call it grit, call it determination, perseverance, stick to itness, hard-headedness, whatever it is you want to call it. In some studies today, it shows that grit is one of the most common traits or qualities in some of the most successful people in the world. And I think we need to remember that not only, not only in our school, not only in our job, but also in our faith. I think a lot of people have been taught and a lot of people even believe that, that once you come to faith, everything just gets easier that Jesus makes life so much better and so much easier, and by that I mean more comfortable and less trouble. In this month, we're going through the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, and Paul was probably the most successful person of faith in the whole world, other than Jesus, of course. As we said last week, last week he's, he's literally in prison, and he's waiting to be executed by Emperor Nero, right? It's gonna happen in just a few months. And last week, he heard that he told Timothy, listen, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me. Paul told him not to quit, and he set some pretty high expectations for this young church leader, right? No excuses. you got to have grit, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you. The Holy Spirit will help you with all of this. And, if you, man, if you missed that message last week, I just encourage you to go back, check that message out, listen to it in the podcast, listen to it on our website, but go back and check that out. You ever notice there's always a backstory to the heroes in Westerns? How did this rugged cowboy become so tough? How did they become so honorable? Or the exact opposite, how did the bad guy become so horrible? See, Paul had a backstory too. Paul never planned on being a Christian. He never planned on being a follower of Jesus. He never knew there was going to be a New Testament, let alone re realize that he was going to be writing a third of it. And I'm sure he never in a million years thought he'd be sitting there get, waiting to get executed for Christ. Paul started out opposing Christ. He was bent and intent on getting rid of Christians, getting rid of people who followed Jesus. He would put them in prison where most of them got executed for their faith. Paul was literally an enemy of Jesus. And he was very good at what he did. Until one day he's on the road to this town called Damascus to get rid of more Christians. And on the way, Jesus introduces himself to Paul. And I want to remind you that his name's not Paul right now. His name is Saul early on. All right? Now, when I was a baby Christian... I used to tell my mom, I think God's telling me, and she'd say, stop. God created you. He knows your language better than you do. If God's telling you something, you ain't going to think nothing. You're going to know. And the same thing holds true with Paul. Paul knows that God's telling him something. What does Jesus do to get his attention? He blinds him. Just for a little bit, though. Check this out. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This guy was trying to destroy God's people. He was trying to destroy the church. But God didn't destroy him. Saul's life was spared because God had a plan for him, right? God was, was, was talking to Saul. And as he was talking to him, he was talking to another guy, another believer by the name of Ananias. And these two didn't know that God's working to, to make their worlds collide. See, God told Ananias that he was sending Saul to him to restore his sight. Ananias got scared, man. Ananias knew who, knew who Saul was. He knew what he did. He knew why he was coming to Damascus. And he wasn't happy about it. He was afraid of him, right? And he asked God, why? Remember, Saul was determined to stop these Christians. And this was God's response. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the gospels and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Woo! When God himself tells you that you're going to suffer for his name, <laughs> that's got to be scary. But what an honor. Saul literally became God's chosen instrument. It's like God said, you know what? I got plans for this cat. I've been watching him. I got him set apart. I got him ready. And now I'm going to prepare him to be my instrument. And notice the next line. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'm going to use you, Kenny, but you're going to hurt. I'm going to use you. But before I do, I'm going to show you how much you've got to suffer. Would you take that job assignment? What a job description. <laughs> God was teaching Paul how to gain grit. So I'm going to give you two keys by uh, Mark Morey, an author and professor, that he, that he said can teach us and help us as well. Number one, look around at others you're responsible to and responsible for, and look ahead at the rewards you're going to reap through perseverance. See, in our culture, things have changed today. We are taught to just do you, right? Just follow your heart, do your own thing. However, we are responsible to God, which means we should want to please him first because of what he's done for us, right? But we are also accountable to him to do what he asks because there, there is a judgment day. And Christians are also responsible to those that God put in their lives, our family, our coworkers, our friends, our church. But let's not forget that we do this because we love him, right? We got a God that we love. And we should certainly be thinking about the rewards of, of what a faithful, obedient life is going to receive. Eternal life with God. When the going gets tough, it's a lot easier to give in if it's just about me. But when I think about pleasing God and not letting him down or letting down my wife and my kids and my, my coworkers, my family... And when I think about future rewards, I gain grit. And then I can continue even when the going gets tough. Our model and our leader is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who meets with Paul here and chose him to be his instrument. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, now I'm going to stop right here for a minute. Large crowds were following Jesus. Jesus was like a rock star, man. He was teaching and preaching and bringing the word and, and healing and praying and doing all these things. And people just, they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to touch him and be close to him. And I know sometimes I can be like that too. 
I think Jesus is amazing and I want the things that only Jesus can give me, right? I want to receive those things. I want to be close to him. I want to, I want to be close to Jesus. I'm like God's little groupie. Got the t-shirt, a bumper sticker on the back of my truck. Follow him on Facebook. And that kind of seems like the definition of a follower, right? But then Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Hold that up there for a second if you would, please. Jesus made a couple of statements that were very profound and it really annoyed and frustrated a lot of people when he said them and it still makes people squirm today and this is one of them. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Man, some people believe that, that Christianity is about health and prosperity, that, that there's a whole lot more getting than there is to give and or gaining or even sacrificing, right? But it's more like the old West. Only the strong survive, those with true grit and determination. And there's going to be hard times, and that's when our true faith is really exposed. And here is what Paul was starting to learn, and I think it's something that we need to pick up and we need to learn ourselves, and it also just so happens to be our big idea. you got to sacrifice a lot to win even more. In the Old West, you never got something for nothing. And that was true of 100 years ago, right? People, people expected to have to work hard and they expected to have to sacrifice. And they had these hopes of getting a little plot of land, maybe having a garden, having a family. They were willing to sacrifice to get that in order to enjoy these benefits that might come from it and even so much more we should in the Christian life. So you got a Bible, Bible app, whatever you got, I'm just going to encourage you to turn to Timothy chapter 2. Second uh, Timothy, um, take your time. You got a couple of minutes, but know this chapter. Know this book. It's literally four chapters long. You can read one chapter a day and almost read it twice in a week. You can read two chapters a day and get through it. Take your time and actually go through this so that when you come in, you're ready. And it'll change the way you look at things. It starts out, it's real simple. It says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Sounds real simple, right? And you can see from this verse that this is a real personal relationship and a letter with Timothy. You, my son, be strong. Something all dads have said since the beginning of time, right? Be strong, son. Usually there's a period at the end of that. Be strong, son. But Paul doesn't say, suck it up, buttercup. He doesn't say, be strong. He doesn't say, just be tough as nails. He doesn't say, just do it. Just believe and you can be strong enough, right? Those would be things that I probably say. <laughs> but Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What makes you strong, Timothy? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because of his grace, you are 100% right with God. You are at peace with God, and that means that you are God's son or you are God's daughter, and you know what that makes you? Heir to the throne. And don't think for a second that you're strong enough, and don't think for a second that you're smart enough, and don't think for a second it's because of the things you do. You are strong because of what God has given you. He has given you grace, and because of that, you are stronger than anything you will ever have to go through in your life. And parents, if you don't get anything out of this message, please get this. 
because this is the most important thing to you that there is. We need to teach our kids differently. And we need to teach them that their strength is in the grace of Christ Jesus. Our culture teaches us that strength is within us, right? You just need to work harder. You just need to study harder. You just need to, to be true to yourself. You'd be strong. But then when life comes along and it smacks you in the face with a two by four, all those ideas are gone because they don't work. Because I'm not stronger than the bullies. Their words hurt me. And I'm not stronger than the unjust employer who treats me differently because of the color of my skin. That hurts me. And I'm not stronger than the pressure to fit in or the pressure to listen to this music or the pressure to, to say these words or the pressure to watch these movies. I don't even like the way I look. But understand this, the only way that our kids are going to be stronger than oppressions in their lifetime is through the grace of Christ Jesus. See, the best way to be confident with you and who you are is to realize the one who made you. He loves you and God don't make no junk. And he made you. The only lasting way to overcome the bullies and overcome the evil of this world is to know that you're okay with God who made the universe and that there is a future reward for those who have grace in Christ Jesus. And then Paul commands Timothy to share everything he's learned, right? He says, and these things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to the reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. See, this faith and this knowledge and this gospel and this love and this relationship that we have with God, this is not intended to be internal. It's not intended to be exclusive. It is meant for us to share this. Paul gives Timothy and us a plan on how to do that. Share what you've learned with reliable people and then expect them to train and teach others. There's four generations there. That secures us for the next four generations. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy, who teaches others, who teach reliable people. Four generations. Who are you entrusting the gospel of God's word with? Parents, are you actively learning God's word? Are you teaching your kids daily? Friends and coworkers, are you actively learning and teaching God's word? Are you teaching others, people you work with? Every Christian should be learning and teaching others. Man, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be more knowledgeable than anybody. But you do have to learn. You do have to share. That's your job. Teach them how to read. Teach, tell them what to read. And then let them get hungry and come back to you for questions. That's how it works. He says, join with me in suffering like a, sol like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in, as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. So let's reflect. Remember, Paul is an instrument of God, so we're supposed to listen to this, right? And he's suffering. He learned how to suffer, but it wasn't just Paul that was supposed to suffer. Paul says, join me. 
Join with me in this suffering. He gives three examples or three illustrations. Like a soldier. Please your commanding officer. Don't get messed up. Don't get tangled up with all the unnecessary things. Stay focused. Like an athlete, man, you've got to obey the rules. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to be self-controlled. Like a farmer, you've got to work hard so that you get those first dibs and the craps. See, all three of these are expected to sacrifice, and all three of these are expected to work hard. And not one of them is in control of their own destiny. A soldier, he's got a commanding officer. An athlete has other athletes, has injuries, has refs. A farmer can't control the weather. He can't control what lives or dies. He can't control the ground or right now whether or not he can get something to butcher. But every one of them still works hard and they still sacrifice. Why? Because of the future reward. Pleasing that commanding officer, winning the prize, getting first dibs on those juicy steaks or those nice berries, and the money you'll get from selling them. So we're going to get real, we're going to get down and dirty, and I'm going to say some things that you ain't going to like, but we're going to do it anyway. So here's a tip to grow grit in your life and in the life of others. Get off your high horse. Get over yourself because it's not about you. Every single one of us, me included, we wake up in the morning on our high horse and we're thinking about ourselves and we're thinking about how the world revolves around us. How much of your time is spent on you? What percentage of your thoughts are about you? See, service is the best discipline or habit to get over yourself. The best way to battle the grip of pride and selflessness. The best way to get off your high horse is to think about and serve others. Make it a regular routine. Don't just serve in church, make sure you are, but serve at home too. I not only serve here, I serve the people that I work with. My job here is to be, as an elder is to be the biggest servant. My job there is to be the biggest servant too. Serve your neighbors, serve your family, serve your coworkers, serve your friends. And if you wait for opportunities to do this, you're going to miss it all because you ain't seen nothing because you ain't really looking. Start actively looking for ways to serve. Wake up and ask God, God, tell me who I need to serve today. Help show me. Make a plan. Put it on your calendar. Who you're going to serve, what you're going to do. Talk to other people that you know that are servants. Other people that you know serve other people. Ask them for ideas and then ask them to hold you accountable. Verse 8 through 10 says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He is suffering for sharing the gospel. He is suffering for sharing God's word for teaching this to other people, for teaching people about Jesus. He endures so he's gaining grit. Not just because he's responsible to the people that need to hear about Jesus, but also because Paul remembers that Christ was risen and he will be raised in future glory as well. He is chained, literally chained in prison, but he knows God's word cannot be chained. 
He has suffered so much, but Paul says it is so worth it. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, I know we went through that kind of quick, so let's break it down a little bit. Because here's something you can count on. The word for trustworthy is the same word for faithful, okay? And what does it mean to be faithful or or trustworthy? The first phrase is, if we die with him, we will live with him. You want to live with God, guess what? You've got to die with him. And then it seems to take it up a notch in the next line, right? If we endure, we will also reign with him. See, death leads to life. And enduring life leads to what? Reigning with God. If instead of denying yourself, we just not deny or disown God, him, he will disown us. Then denying jumps up a notch, right? It escalates a notch to being faithless. If we remain in our denial, we become faithless. And our denial leads to living this life of faithlessness. But notice the last line. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Kind of makes you feel warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? It's not intended to. If we deny him, if our inability to be faithful, that doesn't change God. That doesn't mean that he's going to be faithful to us. That means he's going to be faithful to himself. He cannot deny nor disown himself. If we are faithless, he's still faithful to himself. God doesn't change. God is faithful. And because he is faithful, he is trustworthy and he is holy. He can no longer be in the presence of faithlessness. He can no longer be in the presence of sin. If God is faithful, then when we die, if we die with him, we live with him. If we endure, that enduring leads to reigning with God. The fact that God cannot deny himself means he is faithful, which then makes this slogan trustworthy, and it also makes our big idea real and true. you got to sacrifice a lot to win even more. You know, another really good Western was the outlaw Josie Wales. You guys remember that? Some of you kids are like, nope. Some of the older people do, though. There was a classic quote in that movie when a character says, see, Clint Eastwood was in this. And Clint Eastwood said, dying ain't much of a living, boy. And in that movie, what he was referring to is this bounty hunter who wanted to take him in. He was trying to say, ride along, boy, you ain't got a chance. Dying ain't worth living. Unfortunately, the guy didn't take the advice. And he lost this gunfight with Josie. And today, that saying has never, ever been more true. And I'd encourage you not to take that advice. Sorry, Clint. (laughs) And you're never going to hear this on Spotify. And you're never going to hear it on Pandora. 
and you're not going to watch it on Netflix and you're not going to see it on Hulu. You're not going to see the, the, the movie stars and celebrities saying it and you probably won't hear many leaders saying it. But dying is the only way to life. Not physical death, but dying to yourself, submitting yourself to the truth. Jesus is that truth. That is the gospel. God created mankind and we took Josie's advice. And instead of dying, we chose to rule our own lives and rebel against God, to run from God. What we thought was going to give us life actually brought us eternal death, brought us death, eternal separation from God. Because God exists and God is faithful to himself. He chose grace and he chose mercy. And he sent himself, Jesus, to come here as a human and to live a perfect human life and be sacrificed with punishment and death on a cross for a punishment that we deserve, not himself. And God raised him from the dead one last time just to prove for once and for all that Jesus really is who he said he was. And that life is found in dying to self and confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Man, I'm here to tell you, if you have not done that today, today's your day. We have made it so simple. Text your name to 734-304-7248. Number's right up there. You could shoot an email to next at southpointccc.com. Those of you that are online, you guys can, it works for you too. Plus you got a link. It's that easy. You guys click on links every day. Everybody texts every day. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, now is your chance. And if you want to make a decision today, we'll help you. Come as you are. God doesn't want you perfect because that ain't never going to happen. I used to tell my mom all the time, mom, I want to I get saved, but I need to fix this first and I need to stop doing that first. And God knows you. He wants you where you are. Text or email. Click the link. It's really simple. Man, we'll sit down. We'll answer your questions. We'll, we'll pray with you. We'll take time if you want to get baptized right now or if you want to set up a time in the near future to do it. Heck, we can even teach you how to do it at home. And if you don't want to do any of that, stop at the point on your way out and talk to one of the people there. They'd be more than happy to help you. This faith that we had was not meant for us to keep. It is our job, it is our responsibility to share this gospel, and if you're not doing it, then you're failing. And I fail every day too. So I need to step it up too. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the sacrifices. We thank you for loving, loving us so much. We thank you for being faithful to yourself, yet choosing mercy. You chose to love us, to give us an out. And God, if there was anybody in here that hasn't made that decision yet today, I just ask you to soften their heart, allow your Holy Spirit to fill this room so that they don't have a choice but to fix it. God, it's the best decision I've ever made, and I thank you so much for it. I can't ever stop. But I just ask you to fill this room for your Holy Spirit. I ask you to change our, our, our church, change our, our community, change our, our nation. 
God, be with us so that we can confess our sins and we can turn to you. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name.